Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of A Writer's Life. I'm your host, Dana Wayne, and I am absolutely delighted to be here today. We're going to talk about point of view, or POV. I got the idea for this after helping a fellow author deal with some POV issues in his story. Point of view is just what it sounds like. Who's telling the story? Whose perceptions are we seeing? How or who tells the story is vital to making it flow smoothly. Basically, there are three different types of point of view. First, second, and third person. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Well, it's a bit more involved. Let's begin with first person. Now, this can be single perceptive first person or multiple. In this particular style, we see the story from one perspective only. Everything is eye-related. I went to the store. I saw the body. I heard the whistle. The advantage of this format is that it lets the reader get a deeper, more intimate look into the storyteller's mind. We know everything they hear, see, think about what's happening. On the downside, you lose flexibility because it limits the character's perceptive ability. They can only describe what they actually know about what's going on. If there's something going on that your narrator isn't aware of, they can't quote unquote talk about it until they know it. If you're using first person multiple perspective, it works the same as single. But remember, each point of view character must have their own voice, their own style. Make it clear whose point of view we are in by inserting scene breaks or new chapters. And you can also add the name of the new point of view character under the chapter heading or scene break to note that change. Always make it clear whose point of view we're in. Too many points of view can confuse the reader and muddle your story, so keep those to a minimum. And when you do use them, focus on clarity. Now, personally, I'm not a fan of first person because of the limitations it places on the story, but I have several friends who write awesome stories in first person, and there are some great works out there that have successfully used it. The Great Gatsby and Moby Dick come to mind. Excellent examples of first-person point of view. Second person is a little less common and will definitely challenge your writing skill. It's built around you pronouns. You thought the light was green. You wanted the book. This style allows you to draw the reader into the story by making them feel as though they are part of the action. The narrator is talking directly to them. Used correctly, it can be a very effective tool for you, but as I said, it will certainly challenge your writing skill. Third person is where the author tells the story using he, she pronouns. This particular category is divided into two subcategories third-person omniscient and third-person limited. Third-person omniscient means the author, narrator, 
knows everything about everyone, the all-seeing eye. They know everything that's going to happen. The narrator can enter the mind of any character, move freely about the story, and insert their own opinions and observations as well as those of the character. The narrator knows things the characters don't. She decided to end the engagement, but he didn't know it yet. That sort of thing. In Third Person Limited, the author focuses on one character, but remains in the third person category. This particular style of writing allows you to be inside the character's head, know their thoughts and feelings and sensations, which provides the reader a more in-depth experience. As he walked out the door, she knew he'd never be back. At the end of this episode, I'm sharing chapter six from my latest work, The Detail, a tense romantic suspense written in third person with three different POVs separated by scene breaks. It's not real long. Okay, personally, I prefer third person because there is so much more you can do with it. For example, let's say this guy goes into the bank to make a deposit and there's a holdup. If we only see the event from his perspective, first person, we will see surprise, shock, maybe fear. But if we experience it through different perspectives, we might see the bad guys pulling up in a dark SUV, uh, point of view one, pulling on their masks, checking their guns, Then we switch perspectives to an old couple shuffling in with their monthly checks to cash, point of view too. The reader then knows something bad is about to happen, but what? You can't achieve the same level of suspense in first person because of the perceptive limitations. Third person is simply more flexible. It allows you to go from narrow focus to wide focus and thus enhances and enlarges your story. As with anything else in writing, there are some rules to follow with third person multiple POV. First of all, you want to limit the number of POV characters. Too many is simply too many. I stick to no more than three, but whatever works for you, for your story, just remember, keep them to a minimum. Now, when switching from your main protagonist's point of view to another one, get back to your main guys as soon as possible. They are the glue that holds the story together. They're the ones the reader is vested in, so get back to the main ones as soon as possible. And every main POB character has to have their own story arc. That means they must have motivation, challenges, internal and external obstacles, a crisis, and a resolution. That basically means if you use three main point of view characters, you write three perfectly structured stories. So, how do you choose the POV that's right for you? First off, try telling your story from different points of view. That's the best way to determine what's going to work. You'll know right off which one is the best because the words will flow. You know, as we talked about earlier, 
first person allows for greater intimacy between the reader and the character by granting access to the character's thoughts. Second person is more stylistic can be, but can be challenging to achieve. Third person is more flexible and allows you the ability to move between different characters' points of view to enhance your story. Next, you want to establish whatever point of view you're using right off. Nothing is more distracting for me as a reader to get started on a story and I think and think that, you know, I'm in this point of view only to discover down the page that I was wrong. You must let the reader know right away who's telling the story. If using third person, give the character's name early. Something like Jess was exhausted, exhausted is enough to establish whose point of view we're in. And stick to that point of view. We have all heard the phrase head hopping, meaning the story is rolling along in one point of view and suddenly in the next paragraph you switch to someone else's and then the next paragraph it switches back. This will disrupt the flow of the story and can be very jarring to a reader, so don't do it. Now, that's not to say you can't change point of view in a story. You can. Just warn the reader you're doing so by adding a scene break or a new chapter and don't flop back and forth between point of views in a single scene. The point of view that you choose has limitations as we discussed up above, but they're vital in character development. You're describing things through their eyes and providing information to the reader about what they think and what they feel. Know the limitations of the point of view that you're using and make sure you don't give information to the reader they shouldn't have. Now, occasionally you may want to change it up and that's okay. You don't have to remain in a single category or point of view throughout the story. But the moment you establish a POV, you're basically making a deal with the reader that you're going to stick with that for the remainder of that scene or chapter. It's perfectly fine to switch styles for a different subplot or a different character, but each should be given their own section or chapter so there is a clear delineation between them that lets the reader know you're switching around. And additionally, each point of view character must have their own voice and their own style. Me, I write third person dual point of view, meaning both my main characters and sometimes a third, like in my romantic suspense stories where I add in the bad guy. So I use scene breaks or chapters when I make that switch so there is a clear delineation. Now this kind of sounds silly to say, but books aren't movies. In a movie, the camera constantly jumps around showing the main characters, the couple next door, the boat dock, all manner of other things. There's explosions, there's special effects. They use visual cues to show you what the characters may be thinking or feeling at that particular point but they can't put you inside the character's head. But you can do that in a book, because in essence, you are painting a picture with words for that reader that enables them to make their own movie in their head. You are inside the character's head, showing the reader what they're feeling, what they're seeing, what they're remembering, and all the emotions that come along with that. That's a heady power, but use it wisely 
don't try to handle too many POVs in your book. There are always exceptions to every rule, but I believe in keeping it simple when it comes to point of view. So I stick with two, maybe three, and no more. But when it's all said and done, there is no wrong or right point of view. It's whatever works for you and your story. As I said, I'd like to read a fairly short chapter from my latest work, A Romantic Suspense, entitled The Detail. In this particular selection, there are three point-of-view changes, each separated by a scene break. Seth struggled to bring himself out of the fog and process the situation. Powder from the airbag mingled with dirt and filled his nose and mouth. He tried to push away from it, but couldn't lift his arms. He struggled for a clear breath, then blew out through his nose. His head hurt like hell, and he tasted bloody dirt. Gunshots. We crashed. Jess. He turned his head toward her and swallowed a grunt of pain. Not without the woman. She's pinned in. We ain't got time to get her out. The angry voices penetrated the cloud in Seth's head. We make time. Walls. Who was the other one? Coslow? You're out of your freaking mind, Walls, shouted another man. And the storm's getting worse. A different voice. Shit. Two accomplices? The car rocked when someone tugged on Jess's door. Not without her. We ain't got time, Jack. Come on. Darkness crept up on Seth and he struggled to push back. Jess save Jess. Someone pounded on the roof of the car. I want the woman. Seth tried again to rouse himself, but darkness won the battle. Scene break. Pain mingled with worried voices ebbed and flowed as Seth's consciousness played hide and seek. Time held no meaning in the void. It could have been a day, a week, or a month before pain lessened and the murk faded. He tried to speak, but his tongue stuck to the roof of bone-dry mouth and distorted his words. Father. He's coming around. The anxious voice was familiar, but his confused brain could not attach a name. Seth? Seth? Can you hear me? The voice grew insistent, agitated. Take it easy. Give him time. A new voice. Unfamiliar. But he recognized the command in the first voice. Not if you can hear me. It took a ton of effort, but he managed to follow the command. Okay. Don't try to talk. Just listen. Seth focused on the voice when the gloom threatened to take him under again. There was an accident. You're in a hospital in Amarillo. Pain pulsed in his temples as he struggled to speak. Jess. He couldn't decide if the next pause was real or imagined, and his stomach churned with equal parts anxiety and alarm as he focused, forced one eye open, then the other. Sergeant Phillips stood beside his bed, along with an older man in a lab coat, a stethoscope around his neck. A third man, Jake Sampson, a Texas Ranger he met after he transferred to Walker, waited at the foot of the bed. Can you tell me what happened? Sergeant Phillips' voice radiated distress. The man in the lab coat placed a hand on Phillips' arm and addressed Seth. Would you like some water, detective? 
Seth didn't take his eyes off Phillips. Please. The doctor lifted a pitcher from the bedside table, poured water in a plastic glass, and added the bendable straw. He raised the angle of the bed so Seth could drink. Take it slow, son, the man said. Easy. Seth took a cautious sip and asked again. Jess. His gaze shifted to Drake. Where is she? Is she all right? His agonized face gave voice to Seth's greatest fear. She didn't make it. Anguish tore his heart, toward his heart. Oh, God, Jess. She wasn't in the car when EMS got there, said Phillips. Neither was Walls. It took his sluggish brain seconds to process the words. When it did, his breath caught. What? What? Oh, God, did Walls have her? They weren't in the car, Seth. Sergeant Phillips' hand gripped the bed railing as he leaned forward. Your call kept the line open and we pinged your location, but the storms hampered response time. He gripped the rails harder. The seat belts for her and Walls were cut. We found blood on the airbag on the airbag and driver's side window. He took a deep breath. That was two days ago. The beep from the monitor beside the bed kept time with his accelerated heart rate. Two days with a deadly psycho who hates women, especially Jess. Seth didn't realize he tried to get up until Sergeant Phillips laid a hand on his chest and pushed him back on the bed. Take it easy, son. Drake spoke up. We put out a bolo for the Jeep and every law enforcement in the state is looking for them. Coslow's place is under surveillance too, but I need to know what you know. Hand trembling, Seth reached for the water glass and the doctor helped him drink again. Then he took a deep breath and talked, talked slowly at first, pausing often to gather strength and keep his words coherent as his scrambled brain cleared and the mother of all headaches pounded in his brain to mush. Exhausted from the effort, he closed his eyes and sighed. The last thing I heard was Walt say he wouldn't leave without her. And you didn't recognize the other voices, asked Drake. Didn't see them. No, but it was the same Jeep we saw in Colorado. Can only assume one of the other two voices was Coslow's. Philip stood back and spoke to Drake. Anything else right now? Not at the moment. A 40-something career lawman, Drake was sharp, dedicated, and personable. They met soon after he transferred to Walker and formed a quick friendship based on mutual respect. I'll catch up to you in Walker. With that, Drake, Drake turned and left. Tom planted both hands on his hips. Okay, he turned to the other man. Dr. Hennessy, how long before he can be released? He needs to remain under observation at least another 24 to 48 hours. He's been out for two days. Seth tried to push himself up. No. It ticked him off to discover he was too weak to finish the task, not to mention it hurt like hell. He fell back on the bed. The concussion notwithstanding, your injuries are not too severe, said the doctor. A couple of bruised ribs, your right shoulder has a mild sprain and several cuts and abrasions. You were lucky. Pain radiated from world-weary eyes. My son was a police officer, too. Seth caught the was, but didn't comment. I need to get out of here, Sarge. You need to take care of yourself, insisted Phillips. You'll be no good to any of us, especially Jess, otherwise. 
He hated to admit defeat, but knew Tom was right. His beautiful, courageous Jess was in the hands of a deranged sociopath, and he was helpless to do anything about it. A scene break. Pain, thirst, cold. Jess tried to separate herself from the discomfort and concentrate. Where am I? Rocks grated against her left cheek and dirt filled her mouth. Thunder rolled and lightning flashed around her. Pain pelted her back and cold leached into her bones. I'm in a ditch. She vaguely remembered the fall that saved her from a fate worse than death. While the ravine provided no shelter from the rain or cold, it protected her from the brunt of the dust storm dust storm's formidable wind. Blinded by torrential rain, she couldn't accurately judge the gully's dimensions, but guessed about 15 feet across and 10 feet down. Storm-fed water rushed through the bottom of the ravine. She shifted, then grimaced in pain as pain shot up her left knee. More misery followed when she tried to move her head. It took a moment to realize the water now reached her knees. I must get higher. Despite the pain, she clawed her way up the slippery slope inch by agonizing inch until her head touched the underside of a jagged rock jutting out from the wall near the top. The small projection deflected the rain enough for her to see the surrounding area. Intermittent lightning flashes revealed the silhouette of a tree and scattered brush along the edge of the gully off to her right, and a minuscule assortment of roots dangled from the dirt wall. Teeth gritted against the pain. She edged closer to the nearest tuber and looped an arm through it, crying out in pain. Water now tugged at her hips, and she held on tighter. The storm raged as she clung to the meager lifeline, the pain in her body almost unbearable. Debris in the water brushed against her legs, and she held on tighter. Walls. Walls and someone else pulled her from the wreckage, intent on taking her with them. Ironically, the storm rescued her. One minute, they dragged her toward the jeep. The next, she rolled along the ground like a tumbleweed, battered by wind and dust. Her teeth chattered and her body trembled as frigid air swirled through the ravine. Afraid to fall asleep, she spoke aloud to stay focused. We were almost to doom us when all hell broke loose. Decent traffic, so someone is likely to come by at some point. Her arm cramped with the exertion of hanging on, but she ignored it. Unless that someone is walled, in which case, not so good. Shiver after shiver racked her body. God, I'll never be warm again. She sucked in a ragged breath. Seth had his phone out so they can find us, but not until the storm passes. A new realization made her heart jump. Oh no, they will think walls took me. She shifted, pushing up with her legs to test the pain in her knee, but stopped when it became too intense. Okay, walking is out. She took a calming breath, but I'll crawl if I have to. The storm raged for hours, and by the time it ended, water reached her chest, and the temperature dropped drastically. drastically. Exhaustion threatened to loosen her grip on the root, and she prayed for the strength to hold on. Just till morning. I just need to stay awake until morning. Someone will find me then.
Thanks for listening to a Writer's Life podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed the show and greatly appreciate your feedback and support. Got a topic you want me to discuss? Simply drop a comment or email me at danawayne423 at gmail.com. And subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. My work is available on Amazon, Books to Read, and all major online outlets in both ebook and print, and a couple of audibles. You can also order signed copies as well as other swag through my website, danawayne.com forward slash order. I hope you'll follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode.